Luke chapter 23. Now, don't worry about the time. I got the time, so don't worry about the time. And we got dinner for you, all right? And so you don't have to go to the restaurant, so I can preach an extra 30 minutes if need be, uh, and you can still get home on a good time. And so, but we're going to preach this morning. I feel a burden about what's in my heart, and I pray that God will help us. Luke chapter 23 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he had belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at that time. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him, and he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. The chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. The same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together for before they were enmity between themselves. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and rulers and the people, said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverted the people. And behold, I have examined him before you and have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof you accuse him. No, nor yet Herod. For I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity he must release one, of the, uh, one unto them at the feast." And they, cried out one, all, and they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into the prison. Pilate, therefore willing to release Jesus, spake again to them, but they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were insistent with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless the message this morning. May the will of God be done. Help us, Lord, not to say anything in the flesh, but I pray that you would be glorified and magnified. Most of all, I pray that a sinner would be saved by the grace of God. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. The message that God has placed upon my heart this morning is certainly not for the faint of heart. When you think about Calvary, you think about the place of Calvary this morning, Calvary covers it all, as we've said before. When we come to this passage of Scripture, these 24 verses this morning that we have read, I I want you to see this morning Calvary had a little bit of a different light. When you take these 24 verses and you look at them and the setting of what is taking place, it tells us that Calvary was the place of political affairs. I mean, when you think about the cross this morning and you look at Calvary in this text and in its context, uh, in these 24 verses, uh, we find in verses one through five that Jesus is before Pilate. Then in verses six through 12, Jesus is before Herod. In verses 13 through 24, he's been taken back to Pilate and Jesus is before Pilate again. He was taken from prison and to judgment just as Isaiah said that he would be. And what we have in these 24 verses is we have one politician sending Jesus to another politician and politically they do not know what to do with him. The statement has been made in this context three different times. Uh, Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. 
He has done no evil worthy of death. But when you come to the cross this morning, thy friend Calvary became the central theme of political affairs. The terminology and the theology of our text teaches us uh, uh, that while uh, he, he was spiritually, it was uh, uh, God's uh, uh, side of things that God looked at things through a spiritual realm. Uh, it's very clear in these verses that man was seeing cr- the cross uh, through the political realm. Uh, Pilate was only consi- uh, conscious about himself. Herod was only thinking about his own jurisdiction. Everything, even the terminology that's being used, uh, the chief priests and the scribes, uh, it was all about political affairs. Uh, there was two different kinds of political fair, uh, affairs in this passage of scripture. There was religious politics uh, and there was civil politics. Uh, what, uh, uh, what instigated the cross in the minds of men was the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, the Sanhedrin. Uh, they were playing the political game uh, uh, spiritually and religiously and so therefore they instigated uh, everything that is taking place uh, in this text this morning. Isn't that amazing uh, that when we think about the cross, uh, we think about sin and we think about salvation and we think about the message of the cross within itself. But if you could rewind time and you could go back to Calvary on that day and get in the midst of that angry mob uh, and see what was taking place uh, in the mind of God, it was all spiritual. But in the mind of those that were gathered around the cross, uh, it was religious politics uh, and it was civil politics. Uh, Calvary became the place uh, of political affairs. That's amazing this morning. I noticed the crowd in verse number one and the whole multitude of them arose and led him unto Pilate. There's the charges in verse number two that when they began to accuse him saying we have found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar saying that he himself is Christ the king. It's very easy to see the politics in verse number two. We see here the cross examination by Pilate in verse number three that Pilate asked him saying aren't thou the king of of the Jews. It's all about who's king in this text. It's all about who's got the authority, who's got the popularity. And you see, man has not changed down through the corridors of time. Man is still wanting that power, wanting that authority, that place in the political realm. He wanted it then in this text and man still craves after that today. There's notice here the contention as Pilate says. He comes to this conclusion that in verse four I find no fault in him. And it causes great contention in verse number five. They were more fierce, saying he stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. Now the crowd that is pushing the crucifixion here is the scribes, the chief priests, the Pharisees. It's the, it's the spiritual realm, my friend, or the religious realm, should I say, that is wanting to crucify Jesus. Do you know religion has always hated Christianity. Amen. That's what, listen, the world doesn't mind you being a Muslim. The world doesn't mind you being a, a Buddhist. They don't mind you, uh, listen, uh, being something like that, a Catholic, but the world does not want you to be a Christian, amen? Because Christianity identifies us uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and I promise you, Freya, the world's not changed their mind about Jesus. Uh, they hated him here and they hate him today. Uh, and Jesus said, if they hate me, they're gonna hate you also, amen? And I noticed the criticism in verse number seven. Uh, or the, in verse number uh, five, uh, uh, they criticize him uh, as being one that, that stirreth up the people. And then in verse number seven, Pilate finds a cop out here. As soon as he knew that he belonged under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod. You know what Pilate is doing here? He's playing the political game. He's sending him to Herod in hopes that he doesn't have to deal with Jesus. He's concerned about his own place in politics. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? A lot we could say right there. And when we get to this, Herod so desires to see Jesus in verse number eight because he wants a miracle out of Jesus. And I wanna tell you, Jesus is nobody's puppet, amen? He stands before Herod and he doesn't even answer Herod a word. And the Bible says in verse number uh, verse number nine that he questioned him with many words, uh, but he answered him nothing. 
You know, I wonder if Jesus didn't answer Herod because he cut off the head of John the Baptist. Amen. I'm telling you, he stood there and I'll tell you when Herod cut John's head off, he cut himself off. Amen. He cut, he shut the door for time and eternity and the very son of God, the savior of this world is standing before Herod and he has nothing to say to him. Hey friend, if you're here and you're lost without God this morning and the Holy Ghost speaks to your heart and he tells you you're lost and you need to be saved, you better count yourself a privileged individual. There's almost eight billion people in this world. Two thirds of them never, has never heard a clear presentation of the gospel and if the Holy Ghost comes to your door of your heart and knocks on your heart and tells you you need to be saved, you better come running, you better respond because you're not promised another day of visitation. You're not promised that God will ever pass your way again and it's a whosoever will gospel but it's not a whensoever will gospel. You get saved when the Holy Ghost deals with your heart. Amen. And Jesus had nothing to say to Herod, this politician. So when we come to this text, Calvary, the place of political affairs, they crucified Jesus, and you know the story. They put him on the cross. But what amazes me about the text is the condition that Israel is in nationally. I mean, when you think about who crucified Jesus, God it was God that crucified Jesus theologically. It was Christ uh, uh, that uh, gave his own life physically. No man takes his life from him. It was you and I that crucified him personally. It was our sins that, that put him on the cross. Uh, it was the Romans that crucified Jesus politically. It was the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the scribes uh, that crucified him religiously. But it was Israel that crucified him nationally. They stood there that day and said, let his blood be upon us and upon our people. They put Jesus on the cross. And what Calvary reveals in this text is, is the political affairs that was taking place in Jerusalem that day. It really shows you a great decline in the nation as a whole. In fact, in verse number two, the Bible says we have found this fellow perverting the nation. Jesus did not pervert the nation. Jesus spoke truth to the nation. And just a few days prior to this event, the nation had gathered around Jesus and threw palms to trees and branches down, uh, uh, palm branches down uh, on the ground and he rode through the city and they praised him and said, bless uh, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But it shows their spiritual decline because a few days later, they're saying crucify him. Crucify him. They had declined spiritually, they had declined uh, socially and they had declined morally. Israel was on a downward spiral, been 400 years of silence. They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power from thereof. They had turned away. Does that not sound like America today? America has declined spiritually. And because she has declined spiritually, she has declined socially. There's no longer the unity that was once here. There was a time whether you were saved or not lost. Uh, it didn't matter. You could go through the streets of this country and everybody had respect for the red, white, and blue. Amen. This nation stood together. Everybody had respect for our police officers and our military and those that were serving in harm's way. Everybody believed, uh, uh, listen now, uh, in owning a gun and owning a King James Bible, there was unity. He even people that were lost had a family Bible and they believed in that book uh, and they may have not lived by it and they may not have been saved uh, but there was so, uh, a social unity but those barriers, those walls have been torn down and in this nation today that's what they're doing. They're wanting to tear down more of those barriers and those walls. Uh, they're wanting to cause us to turn against each other and divide this nation is what they want to do. That's why they want open borders to let every God-denying heathen to come in. And uh, I thank God for the wall. Somebody say amen. Amen. Uh, we just need one all the way around. You say, well, I don't believe in a wall. Then don't put a fence up in your yard, neither. Amen. You know what walls are done? They're, they're, walls are built to protect. Amen. They're to keep things in that need to stay in and keep people out that don't need to be in. I'll tell you, listen, uh, we still believe in walls. Hallelujah. You think about the nation of Israel. They had declined spiritually, 
socially and morally. They had lost their decency. That's America that we're living in today. And when I come to this text, there's some things I want to give you this morning that are the signs of, of Calvary being this political, this place of political affairs. Uh, there's some things here that, that are so evident as, as they're making their way to the cross that is so evident in the day that we live in. In fact, I'm amazed at how the Bible uh, back then can so much mirror where we're at today. Amen? You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, I notice in verse number 10 and verse number 13, I notice corrupt priests. The Bible said, and the chief priest and the scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Verse number 13, the Bible says, and Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, it was the chief priest. It was those, you know what the responsibility of a priest was? It was to tell the people or to teach the people the difference between what was right and what was wrong. They were to take the law and they were to tell people what was right and what was wrong. We've got a bunch of corrupt preachers in our land today. The responsibility of a man of God when he gets up to preach is not to entertain the congregation. It's not to become the most popular person in the building. It's not to be dripping with personality and charisma. It's not to preach a famous sermon. It's not to get a on the back. It's not to get a crispy handshake, but the responsibility of a man of God when he gets up to preach uh, is to take this King James Bible and to preach the truth. Amen. Uh, that's what you came for this morning. You didn't come to see me. Uh, you come to hear the truth. Amen. Uh, and friend, the truth is what we need, uh, but the truth has fallen in the streets. Uh, I'm telling you, there's been a lot of men uh, uh, that have sold out uh, preachers that have sold out in a pulpit. Uh, they sold out for cars and cash uh, and for a crowd. Uh, they're more interested in a retirement than they are standing up and preaching the truth. And friend, they've watered down the message and they've diluted the message and now they've got soft in these last days. I'm gonna tell you the Rick Warrens and the Joel Osteens and all of that crowd and the Jesse Jacksons has ruined this country. But I'm glad there's still some God called men that are not for sale, that are for standing for the truth and for preaching the Bible, amen. Isn't that right? I'm telling you, friend, as a preacher, we're not to seek controversy. We're not to stir up controversy, but we're sure not to back down from controversy. Amen? We're to preach dogmatically. We're to preach without apology. We're to preach with compassion. We're to preach with love, but we're to preach on sin. Amen? We're to call sin by name. We're to preach against the sins of our day. Corrupt priest. Brother, there's preachers today, they wouldn't holler snake if one was wrapped around your neck. Amen. And they'll preach on certain things, but they won't preach the whole counsel of the word of God. You say, Brother Gravely, has anybody ever got mad at your preaching? Well, of course they have, and I don't want it to be that way, but you can't help it when it comes down to preaching the truth. I'll tell you where the real temptation comes in is when you've got a church member that you've loved for years, and they've loved you, and you've loved them, and you've worshiped together side by side, and they start drifting off into some sin, and all of a sudden they don't want you to say something about it because now it's them, but it was wrong when everybody else was doing it, but now because they're doing it, they want you to look the other way. I'll tell you, we've looked the other way too long. We need some men of God that'll get up and will just preach. I'm telling you, friend, listen, not worry about what the congregation thinks. Hallelujah. I'm not talking about being mean-spirited. I'm not talking about being ugly. I'm telling you, when a man of God gets behind the pulpit, this is a sacred desk, isn't that right? And man, while I'm on the subject, I think a preacher ought to have a pulpit, amen? Israel stood on a pulpit of wood. I know that means a platform, but he had a designated place that was consecrated for the reading and the hearing and the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. I believe a man of God ought to look like a preacher when he gets up to preach. He ought to have some decency and he ought to have some, listen, he ought to have some character about the place where he's standing out. Hey, this is holy ground this morning. This is God's sacred desk and we've got to tread lightly and we've got to be careful, but we've got to preach what thus saith the Lord. Amen. You might be here this morning and say, preacher, there are just some things, and we're living in that day when people think there are some things that ought not to be preached anymore. I'm gonna tell you, that's crazy thinking this morning. Brother, if it's in this book, we ought to preach it. I still believe men all look like men and women all look like women. 
Is that right? I believe the same book that saves you tells you how to dress. Uh, same book that saves you tells you how to live. Uh, same book that saves you tells you how to stay out of sin. Uh, and preachers ought to cry aloud and spare not. Uh, uh, listen, Paul was rude in speech, they said. Uh, and what that means was, uh, was that Paul wasn't a jerk in the pulpit. Uh, he wasn't some jerk for Jesus. Uh, now what that means is that Paul, when he stood up, uh, he was plain about what he said. Uh, you didn't have to scratch your head and wonder what he was talking about. Uh, and Paul didn't make no apologies about preaching the word of God. There's been people come, been in this church for years sometimes, and things happen in their life, and I'll tell you as a pastor, it breaks your heart. You still have to preach on it. I don't care if it's my children, if it's your children, I don't care if it's our grandchildren, we still gotta preach on it. We still gotta take the same stand that we've always to corrupt priests. Uh, they were more interested, and I'm gonna tell you, politics uh, it is so uh, it is so real amongst preachers today. Uh, you don't know much about it because I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't talk about it here. I don't bring it into the pulpit. I don't bring preachers in that play the political game, uh, and I don't talk about all the politics that goes on out there. And I'm gonna tell you, it exists, friend, uh, a whole lot more than I don't think the working man needs to be concerned about that. In fact, I think a lot of preachers need to grow up. Amen. Some preachers that do them good to get uh, get out of the full-time ministry and go get them a job for a little while and get back in touch with the real world, amen, instead of laying up uh, all day long and sleeping late uh, and gaining 300 pounds uh, and staying on the golf course, amen, five days out of seven days uh, and then getting a little sermon off the internet uh, and coming in and preaching. And don't y'all die on me this morning. Uh, I'm just simply saying a real man of God worth his salt, uh, he'll have some work ethic about him, amen. Uh, he won't lay in the bed all day. He'll get out of the bed early in the morning. Uh, he'll get up and get along with God and pray. I'm not telling you I'm everything I want to be and ought to be, uh, but I'll tell you one thing, I'm not lazy, amen. We got a bunch of fat, lazy preachers today. Oh, gosh. I may be fat, but I'm not lazy. I'm telling you, listen, they'll preach on smoking and they weigh 300 pounds. Is my telling the truth? They're both wrong, amen. I'm telling you, listen, and some preachers, you preach for me and I'll preach for you. And then there's the preachers that want to put their thumb on you and tell you where you can go and where you can't go. And they want to tell you what you can do and what you can't do. And they've got their crowds and they got their cliques. I'm going to tell you what, I run from that like a scalded dog. Amen. I'm telling you, I'm not in no camp. I'm not in no crowd. I'm not in no clique. I'm in the church. Amen. I'm a church man. I'm telling you, this is the crowd. I answer to the Lord. I answer to the church. I answer to my family. But I don't know the rest of that crowd in explanation. I thank God for brethren. I thank God for a Associations, uh, but listen, I'm not building my ministry off theirs. Uh, in fact, whatever they do, they can go do. Uh, uh, God gave me a field to plow, uh, and by the grace of God, uh, I want to put my hand to the plow, and I want to plow every single row uh, until my dying breath. Hallelujah! I'm telling you, this is where God put me. Uh, I'm in the will of God, uh, and I believe that this morning. Amen. I had a preacher call me. It's been a few years ago. He said, you preaching for so-and-so? I said, yeah. He said, well, you can't preach for me if you preach for him. I said, well, I'm sorry. He said, you gonna go preach for him? I said, yeah. The truth is, I had a booking with him. He has promised one. I said, brother, I said, I don't do that. I don't, I don't play those high school, teenage, schoolyard games. You go preach for whoever you want to preach for and you'll answer to God at the judgment seat just like me. But I try to pray and I pray, God, you open the doors and there's been some places I didn't go. I had, I've had to make hard phone calls and say, I'm sorry, I can't come there. But I'll tell you, I do that in love and I always promise that preacher, I'm not going down the road and I'm not going to run you down. I'm not going to talk about you. We may not agree on some things, but my church won't know nothing about it. The preacher down the road's not going to know nothing about it. I'm telling you, listen, we got a lot of religious politics. Uh, you preachers look up in here at me this morning. Uh, don't you ever get caught up in that mess. Uh, don't you ever start trying to con the ladder status uh, or success. Uh, listen, you try to put yourself out there, you have to do it the rest of your life. Uh, but you let God put you out there and you stay humble and you stay small in your own eyes uh, and God will put his hand on you. But if you ever get too big for your britches, uh, you ever think you're something, uh, uh, God will leave you to yourself, amen the truth. 
I don't know why I'm hammering that so hard, but I'm glad I did. Then there's the conspiracy among the people. Look in verse 21 and 23. The Bible says here that they cried saying, crucify him, crucify him. Verse number 23, and they were instant with loud voices requiring that he might be crucified. You know what amazes me about those two verses? Is that the Sanhedrin started this conspiracy about Jesus. The, the crowd had heard him preach so many times, you would think by now there wouldn't even be a question about who he was and where he stood. But because of the religious game that was being played, they brainwashed and they swayed the crowd. How did they do that? Through brainwashing them and fear monging. I'm gonna tell you, that's the day we're living in today. We're living in the day when they want us to, to be silent. They want to scare us to death. And I, listen, I'm not shocked by what Washington is doing. I'm not shocked by the fear-monging and, uh, and all the things that, that they say in the brain. Well, I'm not shocked by them. I'm shocked by what Christians, so-called Christians and church members say. I'm talking about this through this whole pandemic. Boy, it really showed us where we was at, wasn't it? I'm talking about uh, everybody had an opinion. I just tried to stay out of the opinion realm and just do what I felt was right and pray and seek God. Uh, but I'll tell you what has got my attention lately in 2021 is how that we, it has softened the church uh, and how that so many people sitting in our pews uh, think that we ought to just bow to Washington and that we ought to bow to what they say and that preachers ought to not say a whole lot, that we ought to just kindly back up a little bit. Uh, I've been preaching this way all my life. I plan on preaching this way to my dying day. I don't care what the government says. I don't care what so-called church members say. And I'm not being a smart aleck when I say that. I'm just simply saying, hey, if there's ever been a time to stand, it's time to stand. Hallelujah. I tell you what happens to church members a lot of time. They watch too much Newsmax and Fox News that they buy into all the conspiracies that goes on. I used to not believe in conspiracies at all, but I do a little bit now. But I'll tell you, the best thing happened to me in 2021 was January 1st. I haven't watched the news since then. I haven't watched anything. I can't tell you nothing that's going on. And every time on the radio, when they come on with a report and I hear Biden's voice, I turn it off, I mute it. And when he's done talking, I turn it back on. Isn't that right? But I'm amazed that people sitting in church, you say something about the Democrats and they cringe. Well, you ought to cringe if you're a Democrat. Isn't that right? You ought to get real nervous if you're a Democrat. You say, I can't believe you would say that. Well, I'm telling you, I'm not a Democrat. And I'm not a Republican if you want to know the truth about it. I'm going to tell you something. There's no way you can be a Christian and be a Democrat. Somebody say amen right there. Now, don't you come meet me at the back door, amen, because you, you need at least wait about three or four days before you call me about that, amen. But I'm telling you, listen, you can't be a Christian. I, I was with a pastor, he said, well, I, I don't think we'll say a whole lot about that. I said, brother, the worst statement that ever come out of the pulpit, out of the mouths of preachers, is I'm not gonna get political in the pulpit because this is a political book. It's all about battles and wars and governments and kings and, and conquerors. It's a political book. And you'd have a hard time telling Elijah, now don't you go to the White House and tell Biden what you think about it. Listen, he wouldn't just go to the church house. He'd be on the, he'd be at, he'd be at, listen, he'd be on Pennsylvania Avenue, amen, and he'd be there. Listen, you'd have a hard time telling John the Baptist, now you just leave Herod alone. You know, you can preach to the people, no. I tell you, they went to the head of the problem, the solution of the problem, and as men of God, we've been called to be leaders. We ought to cry aloud and spare not, the Bible says. We ought to tell the truth, friend. And I want to just go on record, you can't be a Democrat and be a Christian, amen. You say, how is that possible? You can't vote for baby killers. You can't vote for people that want to take your guns away. And you can't vote for same-sex marriage and be a Christian. And while I'm on the subject, every, every Republican email I've got so far to today, I've responded to this year. They send you, I, listen, I got no confidence in that crowd neither this morning. That's Amen. That's you say, what do you mean? They sold us down the river. Yes, sir. Isn't that right? Yes, I got the email January 1. 
the first email came in and it said something like this uh, and they all read the same. You get the same emails. Uh, they all read it's time to get tough. Uh, it's, time to, uh, it's time to tighten up and let our voices be heard. I don't know if they read them or not. But Brother Danny, this gave me the greatest satisfaction in the world. In fact, I enjoyed doing this. I don't know if that's right. But I respond to every one of them. I sent them an email back and they all say this right here. Uh, listen, the time to speak up uh, was back in November and you're just wanting a 2022 re- uh, re-election. Uh, I plan on doing the same thing to y'all that you did to our former president and that's absolutely nothing, amen? I plan on saying nothing. You weren't there for him. Don't expect us to be there for you, amen? I'm telling you, friend, I got no I got no confidence in that crowd. They're all one big party. They're all in each other's hip pocket, amen? You say, I don't like that. Doesn't make no difference. The devil don't like it and Democrats and Republicans don't like it neither, amen? But I'm telling you, friend, they sold us out. They sold our children out. They sold our country out. Hey, listen, they're all about their own agenda. I think somebody ought to stand up and say something about it. Hallelujah. That's right. You say, I, I don't know if y'all, listen, too late. Brother, we are in major trouble today as a country. And while our responsibility and our mandate is to preach the gospel, it's not a time to be a martyr right now. It's not a time to give in. I was talking with a pastor back, it's probably been over a year ago, and he said, well, I think we all just do like, do like the people of old and, and, and just preach the gospel. And, and you know, if it come, and if we have to give our life, I'll say if it comes to it. But thank God it hasn't come to it yet. You know why they were burned at the stake? Why they were imprisoned? Why they were fed to lions? Because they were under complete tyrancy. They have, we have something they didn't have, freedom. I'll tell you when freedom's taken away and it's prison or preach or preach in prison versus don't preach and be free, then preach and go to prison. But until then, carry a gun, stand for what's right. Listen, let your voice be heard. We ought to stand up for the truth, amen. I tell you, we ought to know history. I tell you, listen, they're dumbing down this generation. They don't want them to know about our history. Don't go to Barnes and Nobles and buy some number one bestseller from New York, amen written by some liberal out of Princeton, Yale, or Harvard, amen. You won't find out the truth there. You need to get you a book, my friend, from the 1800s and read about your history and know your history. I tell you, it makes you a patriot. It makes you want to stand up. That's why we take these young people on a summer trip. We want them to see. We want them to know their history so that, listen, patriotism doesn't die. That's why they want to educate humanism in our public school systems because they don't want them to know Oh, the history behind everything. The cancel culture wants to rewrite our, our uh, books, and they are. They're rewriting our books, our history books today. They want our young people to grow up and think that the America that we knew is not the America. They don't want them to know that America. You know, in school, when you stand up, and you pledge allegiance to that flag as a child growing up, it makes you a patriot. When you read the history books and you read about Washington and Benjamin Franklin and all these different ones that we could talk about, Madison, it makes you a patriot. And while I'm on the subject, I heard a preacher not too long ago, he was talking about them all being whoremongers and all being drunkards. I'm gonna tell you, that's not true. They weren't all Sunday school boys. Benjamin Franklin was not even a Christian. And a young man was talking about, he said, you know, he, he, he was, he, and he went through some of the, the sins of Benjamin Franklin. I said, what about David in the Bible? Let's talk about David. You see, they want to they cancel all that out. Benjamin Franklin was not a Christian, but I'll tell you what he was. He was a patriot. Amen. And he believed in God. It was Benjamin Franklin that said, we need to fast and we need to pray for the writing of the Constitution. It was Benjamin Franklin that signed the Declaration of Independence with all those other men and put his wealth and his family and his life on the line. No, he was not a Christian, but he was honest enough to tell you he wasn't a Christian, unlike a lot of people today. I'm telling you, he wasn't a perfect man by no means, uh, but we're here today. You know why we're here today? Because of men like Benjamin Franklin and men like George Washington and other men uh, that stood their ground. Uh, And if they were alive today, they'd be a war before sunset, friend, uh, because they believed in America. They 
believed in freedom. They believed in the hand of God. And I still believe in that, don't you? I don't want to lose my patriotism. I believe in this nation. I love this nation. She's worth praying for. She's worth fighting for. And she's worth dying for. Hallelujah. They tear down our statues. They loot our cities. They burn our buildings. They kill our store owners. And they say nothing about it. Crooked politicians, verse number 12. And the same day, Pilate and Herod, what about this? I think I pastored these two people. Look at verse 12. I know I have. Because they were made friends together. For before they were at enmity between themselves. Y'all think I'm joking. But I have pastored people that couldn't stand each other. And then when they got something against, they found common ground. They both didn't like the pastor. And I told my wife, I said, it's a Pilot and Herod relationship. They couldn't stand each other until they both got mad at us. And now they're best of friends. Hey, it happens in church. And it happens in politics. Crooked politicians. I mean, when you think about all the things, uh, Fast and Furious, Benghazi, when you think about uh, uh, China and Hunter and Biden, uh, and you think about everything, we could just go on and on. Uh, uh, listen, to a billion dollars on a plane uh, uh, sent to Iraq. Uh, that ought to make your blood boil today. Uh, taxpayers' money uh, sent uh, uh, to Iraq, uh, uh, to a bunch of ragheads that do not believe what we believe, and they hate America and want to kill Americans uh, and destroy America. They want to kill our children and grandchildren and rape our wives. Hey, I think somebody ought to preach against that. They don't deserve a billion dollars. I tell you, listen, they ought to know if they mess with America, it'll become a sandlot. Amen. I'm telling you, they ought to be some grit in our crawl. We ought to have a backbone. We ought to stand for the good old US of A. I'm telling you, these countries around the world, they ought to fear this nation. Amen. We ought to remain friends with Israel and enemies with anyone who is not. Amen. The element of surprise uh, ought to still be implemented, thank God. Uh, and they ought to know, hey, they killed the most innocent, the most important, and the most influential man in this text today simply because uh, of a bunch of crooked politicians uh, that would not uh, uh, pr- pronounce the right kind of judgment for fear and the favor of man. I'm telling you, if that's not America today, uh, uh, listen, uh, I'll apologize for everything I just said, but we're living in a country when we got politicians that don't have a backbone. If the Republican Party proved anything, it proved this in 2020, that they were spineless. That they were not for the people. They're for themselves. And this morning, the things that Obama and Biden and Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and the, the it goes on and on. Listen, all these different uh, uh, listen, different politicians, we could call every one of them's names, uh, the things that they did. If you and I did that, we'd be serving a lifetime sentence right now as I speak. See, we got a generation today that if you mail them a check, if you mail them a check, you, you can just pass anything you want to. Can I just run another rabbit? Because this whole sermon's rabbits, okay? But I plan on killing everyone I see. You know, I thank God for people that will work. You young people, listen to me. You, you young men, listen to me. You ought to work and you ought to sweat. Amen. If your sweat glands don't operate, there's something wrong. Amen. I'm telling you, you ought to work. And until you're at least uh, 55 years old, don't ever say you're tired about anything. Isn't that right? I mean, you got 18-year-old boys saying, I'm tired. I'm like, you ain't done enough in life to be tired yet. You don't raise a family. You ain't worked a job. I'm talking about every boy ought to have to work. Every young lady, you ought to have a good work ethic in your home. You ought to know how to cook and iron and fold clothes and make cat head biscuits and cornbread. Listen, out of a skillet, an iron skillet. Somebody say it, man, right there. I'm telling you, you ought to know how to boil beans. Amen. I'm not talking about, listen, microwave mamas. I'm not talking about super nannies in this day and time. I'm not talking about daycares. I'm talking about some real women that know how to 
pray, you know how to walk with God. Some young ladies uh, that will dress decent and dress modest uh, and they want to clothe their body and conceal their body, not reveal their body. I'm not talking about Vogue and I'm not talking about Hollywood. Uh, I'm not talking about all the sinfulness and the set pool of sin that we're seeing today. Hey, friend, listen, it's wicked, uh, but you ought to have a good work ethic, amen. You ought to work in your church. Amen, vacuum the floor without being asked, amen. You ought to pick up the trash. You ought to not be lazy, amen. Every teenage boy, he gets a little bit lazy and that's where he needs a good dad to kick him in the seat of the pants and push him on through and teach him how to work. You know, growing up, you know, listen, we had three cars growing up and it was 1985 and the earliest model we had was 1973 in 1985. We had three, not because we were rich, but because it, you never knew which one was going to run. And Saturday for my dad was always working on cars, every Saturday. We had an old truck that every time it rained, it changed colors. It had so many coats of primer on it. And my dad was going across an iron bridge one day. He was looking at a garden that was really growing over in, over in Murray County. And you'll know right where it is, the old iron bridge over in Eton. He crossed that iron bridge and got to a little too close looking at that garden. And, and listen, there's a little bit of metal stuck out. It stuck in the door and completely took the door off. <laughs> Ripped it completely off the hinges. Dad never turned around and went back. He just kept on going. He got home took a bunch of plastic and put over it, duct tape. Thank God for plastic and duct tape. Amen, it's fixed a lot of things. He taped that. We had three cars growing up. They were all bombers. And every Saturday, me and my brother had to wash them. And I was like, growing up, I would, I, if we had this argument once, we had it 10 times, Brother Bobby, I was telling my dad, I said, Dad, I mean, we, we had an old Impala that had holes in the floorboard of it. You couldn't ride in the back of it. It was a, two, it was a, it was a five-seater, but only two people could ride in it safely. And my dad, I said, why do we got to watch these cars? We, we want to go ride bikes and play. And Brother David, I said, these cars, they're terrible. Why do we? He said, I said, they're bombers, Dad. He said, they might be bombers, but they're going to be the cleanest bombers in town. <laughs> Amen. And we were poor, but it was everything was clean. Amen. Hey, it was kept up. There's no character in this generation. They want him to pull their breeches up, turn their cap around, put a belt on, tuck their shirt in. I'm telling you, we're living in a generation that's losing its character, losing its decency, losing its morality. And friend, we ought to have that. Hey, listen, your teenage boy and teenage girl, they ought to know how to work. Hallelujah. And God don't use lazy people. I don't know how I got that out of crooked politicians, but it's in there somewhere. Amen. What about crowd pleasers? You know what Pilate does here? He just simply gives the crowd what they want. Brother, that's where we're at today. I, I believe as a pastor, I want what you want. I want you to be happy at this church. In fact, there's decisions, then Brother Laddie will tell you this, there are decisions that we make a lot of times, we're always thinking about, number one, what does God want? And there are some decisions that are not necessarily in the realm of, that I think that, I think that we can make it safely and it doesn't really require a lot of prayer. And so then we think about, well, what makes them happy too? Simple things. But we're living in a time when preachers are polling the congregation to find out what they want. Yes, sir. I would not go to a church where the pastor got up and asked me what I wanted. That's not leadership. Right. Leadership is supposed to pray. So leadership should have accountability. Leadership cannot do anything it wants to do. Thank God for accountability. Accountability keeps us safe, doesn't it, brother, as leaders. Yes. But leadership is to find the direction that you're supposed to go in and take the people in that direction. Now, there's some people they're not going to follow because they want to be leader, but they're not. They're, God didn't put on. You know, everybody that's a leader never wanted to be a leader. God put them there. David, did, he was a shepherd boy. He didn't want to be king. So God put him there. Nobody wants to just... The ones that are in leadership, true leadership, they don't want to be there, but they're there. We're living in a day of crowd pleasers. Somebody 
giving in to the crowd, doing what the crowd wants. I want to tell you, thank God for preachers that went against the grain. Men like Lester Roloff. I'm telling you, listen, whether you liked Brother Roloff or not, you know where he stood. Brother, I think as a, as a pastor, we've got to be so careful that we don't give in. When a man gets so old that he becomes a grandpa figure in the church, Brother Green gave me this, this he gave me this advice and I'm gonna tell you, I've, I've, I've put it down to hang on to it. It was great advice. He said, when a, a man gets too old that he becomes the grandpa pa figure of the church and he no longer can pull the trigger on the things that he used to pull the trigger on, he needs to step aside and he needs to let somebody else be the pastor or the church will go in a different direction. The people will sway, not necessarily because they may want to, but because they don't have that leadership that is there that's supposed to be there. I'm telling you, it's not gonna get easier. And the pressure is gonna get turned up on us. And you're gonna feel the pressure. And I'm gonna feel the pressure. I want you, as long as I'm pastor of this church, we're gonna love sinners. We're gonna preach the gospel. And we're gonna take a firm stand. We're gonna take a firm stand on this book. We're gonna take a firm stand on the right kind of music. We're not going the contemporary way. Somebody say amen. We're not even going to flirt with it. Somebody say amen. We're not dropping our standards. We're not changing our dress codes. Hey, we're not changing where we stand. We're going to still knock doors, pass out tracks, give the gospel, support missionaries. We're not changing. Can we get an amen? Amen. Services like this are needful two or three or four or five times a year. Because what we're doing is we're just cleaning off the path. We're just, we're just clearing the land, Brother Laddie, again. I need the reminding and you need it. This is where we stand. It's where we've always stood. Is that right? I don't care if the banker joins this morning. I, I wish he would. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a blessing? I don't know if he'd give anything, but <laughs> I don't care if the banker joins He'll get the same sermon that everybody else gets. He'll get the same treatment. When George Mueller took his first church, they used to rent the pews out. And the pews, the closer you were up front, the more it cost. (laughs) Can you imagine that today? If we rented pews out, everybody would be sitting in the back. (laughs) They rented the pews. And uh, if you bought that pew, then it was your pew. So the more, the, the more wealthier people sat up front, the poorer people sat in the back. So when Mueller took his first church, he stopped it instantly. Oh, it caused an uproar. It caused a major uproar. He read James chapter 5. said it's not scriptural. Isn't that right? And I'm going to tell you, in every church, the ground ought to just be level. There's no who's who here, is there? We're all cut from the same mold. And we all got dug out of the same pit. Amen. If you're saved, thank God, but you're just a sinner saved. And I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Brother, I want to tell you this morning, church is not about making... Sometimes I, I had a lady leave one time mad about something we decided years ago. I knew she was mad, and when she went out the door to shake my hand, she was so mad, she wasn't going to shake my hand, but I put my hand out, and when she put it out, I grabbed it. I didn't let her go. I said, you're mad. She said, I, well, yes, I am mad. I said, what are you mad about? And she, I knew what she's mad about. She said, I'm mad about what you decided. I said, you know what? I'm mad too about that. Shocked her. She said, well, what do you mean? I said, I'm just as mad about it as you are. I said, you think I wanted to do that? She said, well, why did you do that? I said, because God told me to. It's not what I want to do. Pastoring a church isn't about what the preacher wants. If I got my way, there'd never be another green bean served in that fellowship hall again. (laughs) It ain't about what I want. I want to tell you this morning, I mean this. Every time I've ever found God's will for this church, it's always been the same way. Lord, please show me. Because if you don't, I will make the wrong decision. Please tell me. 
Whether it be something for the whole congregation or whether it be one family, God, please, please tell me what I need to tell them. And I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes it's not easy. But it's always right. Yes, sir. It's what God wants. Going to the church is not the church of your choice. It's not hearing the sermon that you want to hear. It's hearing what you need. It's not going down the road because your children go down the road. Amen. Your children leave an old-fashioned church, you better stay put. They go join a contemporary church, don't you let, because you love them grandbabies. I love my grandkids. Listen, I give them, every, I give them anything they want. I'm just going to be honest with you. That littlest one back there, I mean, she wouldn't have nothing to do with me for the first three, four months. And I found, I found the key to her heart. You know what it is? Food. She loves food. And every time I get with her, I just, I just feed her. I give her everything that probably she's not supposed to have. And now when, she, now when they bring her in, she starts this right here. Come to me. Because she knows where we're going. Amen. And I, I tell you, I'd give my, all of them. I'd give them anything, anything. We went on vacation and I'm about done. Preached about 50 minutes, and I'm sorry I didn't preach an hour and a half, but I'm about out of it. But we went on vacation, and they said, Papa, let's go to the beach. I said, we can't go to the beach. <clears throat> they said, let's go to the beach. I said, there's naked people on the beach. I said, we'll find a place where there ain't nobody. So we went down there, and we found a place. We got down there, and I said, what do y'all want to do? And we had little, you know, shovels and all that kind of stuff to build. I said, let's build a sand castle. And they said, no, let's bury you in the sand. <laughs> Jace, that was his idea. Let's dig a hole, Papa, and put you in it. Oh, thank God for grandchildren. You give them anything, and that's how they treat you. I said, all right. I wouldn't have let my kids bury me in a hole for nothing. I let them bury me. I said, you ain't covering my lips and nose, okay? They got all with neck. I'd do anything for them. But I'm not going to compromise what we believe, what the Bible teaches, even for those grandbabies. What if they go astray? We'll pray for them. But I'll tell you, we're living in an hour of compromisers. I, don't, I fear it. I don't want to compromise to you. I tell you, I just want to finish. I want to finish right, don't you, this morning? Brother, I'm telling you, I preached on everything this morning that I could think of on purpose. Because that's, as a teenage boy and, and as a teenage girl, that's what we grew up hearing. Men of God that just pinned their ears back, had a burden and had that book. They weren't worried about our feelings. Brother, they weren't worried about some some bureaucrat or some politician in Washington, what they were saying, they had a mandate and they had authority that was far beyond this world. And they stood tall and they preached the word of God without the fear and favor. And they told it like it was. And I'm going to tell you, when they got through, we knew what that book said and where they stood. That's exactly right. And I'm going to tell you something. It salvaged our teenage years. Didn't it salvage you? Him old men of God. It's kept you in the right way. It kept you straight. I never questioned one time if they loved me. I knew because of the way they preached to me. They cared. They cared more about me than they did the paycheck or the number on the board. They cared about my soul.